Hey everyone, I'm Jordan Henderson and welcome to the RevOps Podcast. I'm joined today by Jonathan Stevens and Brandon Redlinger. Hey guys. What's up guys? This week we have a, a special guest. This is actually our first ever official guest on the podcast. We've had Alec talk a few times and maybe a few other things, but our first ever official guest, John Miller, CMO at Demandbase. Say hi, John. Yeah. Wow, first one ever. This is awesome. This is going to set a high bar for everybody else, I hope. Yeah, I, re- I really do hope so. It, it seems like a ridiculous first guest, just so you know. When, when Brandon was like, we're going to invite John Miller from, from Demandbase to be our first guest, I was... Absolutely, like there's no way he's saying yes to that. So, so I really appreciate you you joining us today, and, and this really excited for the conversation. So, um, but before we jump in, may, maybe it'd be helpful for everybody to do a bit of an intro on of yourself. So yeah, so I am current CMO of Demandbase. Um, I joined Demandbase back in June of 2020 uh, when we merged my um, company Engagia with Demandbase to sort of create what is is frankly the new Demandbase One platform. Uh, Engagio nice. was an account-based marketing platform that was sort of took more of a marketing automation lens, whereas traditional demand base had been a little bit more focused on the digital marketing. Um, I was at uh, Engagio for five years, worked with Brandon there, uh, so that's kind of how we how we know each other. Uh, where I, I was the founder and CEO there. Before Engagio, I'm probably best known as um, one of the co-founders of Marketo, where I was the first uh, CMO there and kind of helped build the revenue engine. That's awesome. Yeah, so so that's that's a ridiculous background, and that's why we don't do intros because nobody can say anything quite like that on this <laughs> podcast. Um, but, but thank you for that. Um, so so one of the things I want to jump in, um, and typically on the podcast we like to sort of talk about a topic that's not necessarily top of mind. But because John, you are honestly the thought leader in ABM ABX, and, and you say ABX a lot, you talk about ABX, you have a book about ABX. Um, I want to start there. So so. First and foremost, what is ABX and why do you prefer that to ABM? So, yeah, I mean, I maybe if I take a, just a 30-second step back, I mean, like, I got into the whole account-based world when I was at Marketo. You know, we were, we were doing traditional demand generation at Marketo. We, we, we helped pioneer what demand generation really should look like. And the analogy I used to describe what we were doing was fishing with a net. You know, we, we'd run our campaigns and we didn't care which specific person or company responded to our programs. We just cared did we catch enough that we could then score and nurture and pass the sales at the right time. And that engine worked really well. I mean, it got us close to the IPO. But as we were approaching $50 million of ARR, it was kind of stalling out for how much I felt like we could keep growing with that engine. Um, partly because we were trying to move up market, but mostly it's like I couldn't double the number of webinars and somehow and directly double the number of leads, you know, <laughs> double the number of blog posts, double the number of rebooks. It just it just doesn't work that way. If only. You know, and we needed some <laughs> yeah. other, <laughs> other sources of growth, and we we started experimenting with what at the time I just called outbound marketing to kind of counter versus inbound marketing. Yeah. And yep. we, we identified accounts that looked like good accounts that weren't responding to, to our programs. They weren't coming into our net. And we devised outbound programs that would reach out to them. And that's ultimately what became known as account-based marketing, you know, that practice. Um, and the analogy I used to describe that, it was, it was more like fishing with a spear because we sort of went after those big fish in a very proactive way. It, it was the experience of trying to do this at Marketo, you know, the, doing this fierce spearfishing 
um, that inspired me to start Engageo because it worked, but it was way too hard. Um, and it drove the operations team crazy with my requests. Like, how do I measure this stuff? How do we orchestrate, you know, the programs? How do we let sales know what's going on at the accounts? You know, it was manual. It's all sorts of really bad operations, um, which well, I'm sure we'll get into <laughs> more. And so that's what inspired me to start Engageo. You know, but so doing that spear phishing now for five years, I started and calling and uh, calling it account based marketing and helping to sort of build that ABM category. You know, really there were sort of two main problems I think with how I was preaching it, how people were practicing it, you know, and so on. And the first one is sort of best summed up by like a, a nice little line, which is it doesn't feel very good to get poked by a spear. You know, and, and, yeah. <laughs> and the way we were doing ABM was not very customer centric. You know, we, we were going after these accounts regardless of whether they had any interest in actually talking to us, which was the opposite of what we'd learned in demand generation, which is, you know, don't call people when they don't want to be called. Wait until they're sort of ready. And, then, you know, and 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 then so I started to like, there's got to be some way that combines the best of both these worlds, combines the precision and targeting of the account-based strategies, but with that engageability and frankly respect for the customer's experience that you got with demand generation. And that's sort of where we came up with the term account-based experience uh, as something that would combine the best of both these worlds. Um, you know, it's really about understanding where the account is in its journey mm -hmm. and adjusting your go-to-market accordingly. The, the other reason that I think ABX is just a better term is there's, you know, the word account-based marketing is flawed in as much as it's only talking to the marketing team. And this is really a revenue strategy, you know, and just for the same reason we talk about revenue operations and not sales ops and marketing ops, we needed a term that had a bigger umbrella that, that uh, would capture, that would, would, would bring sales and SDRs and customer success into the account-based strategy. You know, and I mean, you could call it account-based revenue. You could call it account-based engagement. At one point in Engageo, we called it account-based everything. <laughs> you can call it whatever you want, frankly. Yeah. But, but yeah. account-based marketing isn't a great term. So yeah. wanted a new term and one that had more respect for the customer experience. And thus, ABX was born. And it's a cool well, acronym. I, it is. It is a cool acronym. It also is sort of, for, for me, I really like it. I used, I've heard ABR a lot, account-based revenue. Like, yeah. like that one. But, but I never really stuck to that one. I like ABX because it actually lines to RevOps because RevOps is all about the buyer's journey and account-based experience, again, all about the buyer's journey. By the way, we do this thing on the podcast where I actually always ask Jonathan or Brandon to give me a definition of the thing we're going to talk about today. Brandon or Jonathan, do one of you want to give me a succinct definition of ABX now? that You've heard the entire spiel. Can one of you give me that? Uh, account-based experience is a go-to-market strategy that uses data and insights. I'm just reading straight from John Miller's book. Right <laughs> <laughs> that uses data and insights to orchestrate relevant strategy too. Yeah, but 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 okay. This is the first time they've ever given me a proper definition. Just so you know, <laughs> it's like 11 episodes in, and we're we're just now hitting it. So, so John, that that that's super awesome, and, and I love I love the also the way that metaphor really just drug right all the way through very accurately as to how that worked with the spear fishing. So, um, well, I do love the new the new definition. Right, it's a go-to-market strategy that uses data and insights to orchestrate relevant trusted sales and marketing actions 
throughout the B2B customer lifecycle. That, like, that is so much what we talk about on this podcast, data and insights through the whole customer journey. Which, which actually segues into the, the reason I think this is really important, which is that definition aligns to the definition of revenue operations, right? Which, exactly. which is aligning to your buyer's experience and buyer's journey, right? With data and insights to drive your decision making. Like that, that's in a lot of ways what RevOps is. So, so it sort of tees me into what is next, which is you've been running ABX strategies. And actually, Brandon, Jonathan, you guys have as well. Um, and, and Brandon, you, you've, you come for that world. And John, obviously, you, you've created this category. How does RevOps get involved? Like, how do you work with RevOps? What's the best way for, for that team to support an ABX strategy? I mean, I, I think you know, there's a couple, you know, there's a couple of different angles to it. I mean, the the I think a lot of it comes down first off to creating um, a single view of the account, you know, which which is sort of the foundation. I mean, and, and that's the problem I had back at Marketo, right? I mean, there was data about my accounts that sat in Marketo. That was about who was visiting the website and opening emails and attending webinars. But that data didn't roll up to the account. And even in Salesforce, my leads didn't match to my account. So I didn't really have a comprehensive view. Um, and then there was no way to sort of turn all that into easy abilities to like make segment accounts. Right. I mean, and just make lists of accounts and things like that. I mean, you can't log into Marketo and make, you know, or you couldn't at least make a list of accounts. You know, and that and that kind of thing. Um, so I think we you know RevOps you know helps with building a single view of the account, coming building a, an account segmentation strategy, um, and we can talk more about kind of ways to think about segmenting your accounts. But one of the best ways is where is that account in the, in its journey, um, and kind of really understanding that. I think RevOps also can be really useful for helping the sales team. Uh, for taking all the insights from that single view of the account and, 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 and exposing that to the sales team in the right way. There's an art there, right? And that you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with. But like, you know, you don't want to just dump tons of data in front of a salesperson. That's not going to help them. You know, but how can you contextually, at the right time, give them a key insight that's going to help them sell more effectively? You know, kind of you balance kind of signal versus noise, you know, RevOps professionals, I think, are really good at kind of getting that balance right in terms of what to actually notify your sales team about. Um, and then you can start to automate some processes. You know, and that's sort of, I think, more advanced revenue operations, but you know, where you, you know, start to actually orchestrate things across channels. So like maybe there's an account that suddenly starts to light up and show that it's in market. You, know, you might want to make sure that they get get a different set of ads, right? You might also at the same time want to alert the sales team and launch some sequences. Yep. So you can, uh, you know, it's about building those workflows together um, to 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 uh, really orchestrate the interactions. I think RevOps plays a role in all in all of those pieces. Totally, Brandon, Jonathan, anything you guys want to tag on there? I think I think John nailed it. It's valuable participation yeah, exactly. as always from <laughs> as both always. of you. Um, but 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 no, that's it's super interesting. So when you're talking about um, like building the account thing, a lot of what you're talking about, I, I believe, is intent data. We're sort of dancing around intent data as a whole as is the thing that's showing us that a buyer's in market. Right? Is that is that sort of uh, a huge piece of the puzzle for you? Yeah, I mean, intent data is really important. Um, okay. I would say maybe necessary but not sufficient. 
Uh, okay, so I, I want to know more about this because we just did a whole intent data model. I want, I, I want the hot take. Well, I mean, so, so what, what intent data that's, does that's really cool is it sort of takes what was awesome about the digital body language and marketing automation and applies it to the open web, right? So, so fast forward, you know, rewind to Marketo 12 years ago. You know, I mean, really part of why people would buy these demand generation tools is because the first time you could do lead scoring, you know, and every time somebody visited a web page, you could add a point. And then when they, when they attended a webinar, you could add five points and you could say when they hit 60 points, they're ready for sales and I'm going to pass them over to the sales team. And if you got really fancy, you could do things like, huh, they're going to a lot of web pages about sales enablement, maybe that's what I should talk to them about when, when I call them. And all that's super valuable and, and still relevant today. But our buyers are gotten pretty savvy and they sort of know if they fill out forms on our website. You know, I, I, think, I think a lot of companies have screwed it up by sort of calling people, having, sticking their SDRs on them before you know, they were actually ready. And so buyers have therefore gotten really pretty wary about kind of raising their hand and becoming known They're doing more of the research off the website. And that's what intent data does. That's so cool. You can't track what the specific person is doing usually off site because that violates um, privacy rules. But if you roll it up and aggregate it to the company level, you can start to see patterns of, Hey, this company is showing interest in this topic, for example. Um, or that topic, and you know that, that does two things for you. There's first of all your baseline levels of intent, you know, which is just like, hey, this company tends to read a lot about digital security. You know, so if you're a digital security company, that might be a better target for you than another company. You know, and then you can also start to look at the rate of change of those things. You know, like that, they read a lot, but they've just spiked. You know, on more. And that can show changes in, the, in where they are. Um, and I think that's the, it's that trending one is mostly what you were just referring to. Like, hey, there's yeah. a change. Maybe they're in market. Yeah. So, that's, I mean, that's important for like that one piece of, hey, are they in market? But the reality is for most companies, the pers- you know, let's just say there's a thousand accounts that you think would be a really good fit for you. The percentage that are actually in market right now is a pretty low fraction. You know, and so when I say necessary but not sufficient, what I mean is you really want to know about the 50 that are in market right now, but you still got to figure out how are you going to build relationships with the other 950, you know, and, and that's what a cow-based experience is all about, you know, is, is again, aligning how you treat them based on the different stages. So, so if you're if you're building out your account target list and, and internally here we, we work I work really closely with the marketing team and the sales team to, to do that right and what would what would you say say you're consulting with somebody it's the they're just launching ABX for the first time and they're trying to figure out their target account list what are the the few data points you'd be like these are absolutely must have data points for you to consider before you like to determine your target account list yeah well. Uh, I'll say uh, first off, I'll say there's. I think there's when when people talk about determining the target account lists, I think it's really important to point out that there's actually two things that you're doing. The the first thing you should be doing is just identifying the accounts. Hey, who should I be kind of focusing on? 
And within that, maybe tiering them as well. You know, these are going to get more focused. These are going to get less. But the second thing you should be doing is also figuring out when are you going to prioritize and put extra focus on the accounts? You know, like what, what are the signs that this account should get more love? So let me, I'll talk about both of those, but they, they are kind of, they're both important. So on the first one, just like, Hey, who should my accounts be? I tend to like to use an acronym, um, of fire. So in fire, the F stands for fit, you know, and this is, Hey, just does this account have the attributes of my best customers? You know, simply put, are they, are they in my ideal customer profile? More sophisticated is sort of like Netflix movie recommendations. If you, if these are your good accounts, here are other accounts like them. Yeah. Um, and that tells me if I'm interested in them, right? Yeah. The I in fire stands for intent. We sort of talked about that a lot. But in this context, I'm really talking about that baseline intent. You know, just like, are they generally interested in my topics? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. The R stands for relationship. And I think a lot of people overlook this one. You know, but when you're picking your accounts, you know, you kind of want to know, do you have uh, somebody who used to be your customer who now works at that company? You know, or do you have a closed lost opportunity there? You know, or even a simple, are your SDRs already reaching out to that account? You know, all those pieces of context, I think, could, are, could, could be anything, right? Like, are they attending your webinars? Are they listening to your podcast? Like, is there, is there basically anything where they're reaching out to you? Yes, although that what you just said is what I put into my E. Okay. Our, all right. <laughs> engagement. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead. That's all. That's all we're doing. <laughs> to me, the engagement is, are they interacting with my marketing channels? Um, you know, so far. To first so party. The nuance there is a relationship is just sort of like context and history. Yeah. Really, do we have a rela- you know, relationship with the people? Engagement is, are they kind of coming to me? So I think FIRE work really well for picking your accounts and then kind of maybe even tiering them. Mm. Whereas... Yeah. Is, Intent and predictive analytics are sort of particularly useful for finding when you want to give that extra focus, right? So if you can sort of identify the pattern of behaviors that accounts tend to show as they lead up to becoming an opportunity on your own site, as well as intent data, you know, that's, that's when you can sort of say, Hey, this should get some extra love. Now it's time for my SDRs to reach out, you know, now it's time for me to call them, you know, send them fancy direct mail packages, you name it. Um, so I think that both, both those are important for, for account selection. So, so let me, so this is, uh, this is my revenue operations brain thinking about this. Um, have you ever, and this is a question for Brandon and Jonathan as well. Have, have you ever used, say so you've gone through the process that John just described, right? You use these two buckets, you, you've created an account list that, that is the right fit for you. And, and you're very happy with that account list. Have you ever used that list to inform your sales geographic territories? Or is that just totally outlandish? I haven't done that, but I, I, I don't think that's a bad idea whatsoever. Um, but the, well, what I, what I really quick, what I love about fire is it, it takes into account qualitative as, as well as quantitative, right? Like the relationship piece. And I think, I think a lot of people miss that, right? Like how many people, how many accounts or companies do you talk to that are just like, it's pure data and that's about it. Whereas the qualitative, like if if I'm connected with John Miller and you want to sell to John Miller, like don't don't you want to know that, right? Like it's such an important piece. Like it's a super strong indicator. You're probably going to put more weight on 
that relationship than you are going to on like what technology they use and any other technographic data, right? Um, totally. But, and and there's the um, there's the piece of it that. Like for example, we we do a lot of closed loss campaigns. I think everybody does closed loss campaigns, right? You go through little old lost opportunities and you reach back out to them and see what happens. Oftentimes, there's a ton of quick wins in closed loss campaigns because they've already seen the tech. If they're willing to come back and talk to you, you have a relationship there. They, they're willing to come back and talk to you it means the tech was at least good enough for them to come back to the table and have a conversation, right? And so, so you're already like part way through that deal process with that person, whereas somebody else is entirely cold. You don't have that relationship. They haven't seen the technology. There was just never anything there it's a totally different scenario i think the territory question is 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 a really good one i mean like at at engageo we definitely looked at our territories um you know just sort of make sure they're fair based not just on geography but actually you know do we have enough of the high fit accounts that have the right levels of engagement we actually had a customer that um would would look at the total amount of engagement by territory and when they saw a territory that had a lot more engagement than others like they would split it <laughs> they'd go that you know and that's yeah. how they mm-hmm. they would know it's time to kind of hire a new rep you know we have a uh, there's a, co- a competitor in our space a company called six Sense. they talk a lot about how they don't do territories right and all they do is they sort of you know dynamically when they see accounts in market i don't understand how that works thought, by the well, way. no i mean it's, <laughs> I, I think it's honestly simplistic you know it's 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 you know, that's Here's a my accounts. To, to do is effectively round robin your high value accounts, but again, yeah. it's missing out on the whole account life cycle. You know, it, it's sort of saying the only thing that matters is in market when, you know, as we all know, like it does matter to market and even in some cases sell to accounts that are in other stages too. So I don't recommend doing what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I totally agree with that, by the way, because some of your most, some of your best product awareness, especially if you're a younger startup, comes from reps just cold outbounding within territory, right? Like they have extra bandwidth. They can spend time reaching out to people. And a lot of times that, that puts people in market six months down the road because they start to think, hey, maybe I need this technology, right? Totally, so, totally. I think, you know, so I, but, I, but I do think using FIRE to, to make sure territories are fair is useful. Yeah. Oh, but you're having those those reps cold reach out to um, early accounts. I, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. Just make sure you're not poking them with the spear. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, like totally. You've got to make sure that you're doing it in a way that's relevant and helpful, you know, and not, hey, are you ready for a meeting? You know, yeah. Like, I'm sure every guest on your podcast says that. You know, and yes, you're the only one. You're the first guest. You know this. <laughs> <laughs> every. every um, so many companies screw that up. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So right. Once your, you burn that bridge, you've burned that bridge. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your favorite approach, John, to kind of that initial cold outreach when the account maybe isn't quite warm enough to get to sales yet? Do you nurture them with emails? Is it a series of emails and ads? Well, I think you've got to sort of think about how do you combine um, human and non-scalable things with marketing air cover. Mm-hmm. You know, and so on the on the marketing air cover, things like advertising actually can be really actually quite effective, um, especially when your advertising has the right technology to focus in on the right people and the right accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just me- I mean, honestly, that one's easy to measure. Like, hey, if you turn mm-hmm. those ads on, do you see web traffic go up, <laughs> you know, from from the accounts you care about? If so, hey, it's probably working, um, <laughs> you know. But 
So then with, with that air cover in place, I think human and non-scalable are both really important words. You know, in terms of human, um, you know, I mean, just think about emails, right? I mean, you're going to respond, you know, respond to a personal email, you know, from a person way more than you're going to respond to a marketing, you know, mass outreach. Um, And, and so what I encourage my teams to do is, you know, use that kind of human touch, human language, you, you know, even in the earlier ones, you know, and like, gosh, so many SDRs could improve the emails they're writing. If they just take a step back and think, is this what, is this how you'd write to a friend? You know, right. <laughs> so yeah, just actual human. Um, but, but even in that, in that early, those first touches, don't ask for a meeting. Don't say, Hey, I'm free Tuesday at 3 PM. Can you, can you connect? You know, just be like, you know, companies in your industry have these challenges. You know, I found this resource is a great way to help those challenges. You know, uh, you know, if you ever have any more questions, here's how to reach me. You know, otherwise have a good day, you know, and like that, that's a, I think a really good way to sort of not poke people with a spear, you know, early on. I, I think yeah, it's, it's also a non-invasive value add. T- totally. And, and I th- yeah. honestly, I think there are things that are scalable that you could do to nurture them long to, like, the, like a podcast, right. Or like, like social selling, just say interesting, smart things, be in good conversations on LinkedIn where your buyers are. And that's just a a great way to stay top of mind. Also build some thought leadership, build that trust with them so that when they are ready to buy, they're automatically going to think of you. Right. So, and then a few, few other channels. And, and creating that content creates something that your sellers can use to provide value to people, which is also very important as a company, by the way, like, if telling your reps, hey, provide value is really hard to do if you're not creating content for them to send to those people that adds value, right? Like that that's sort of the back end of that puzzle that I, I think is missing often. And, and yeah. you don't typically always want them to go find some resources that another company is putting out and send their way. And for example, this podcast, our selling our selling team actually is using this podcast, not not intermittently recently to to send to people like, hey, I thought you might find this an interesting. We were talking about this topic and here's an episode about it, um, using it very successfully. And, and just generating that content is important. Another um, trick of the trade that you might think about using, now that I use it on your podcast, it's going to ruin it for everybody, <laughs> but inviting your target prospects to be guests on the podcast. Well, why, why, why do you think you're on the podcast, John? <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great way to sort of build early relationships um, with, with your target audience that's sort of not poking them with the spear. T- totally. totally, yeah. I, you know, Sweet, Sweetfish Media would call that uh, content-based networking, right? But, I, you know, but before I was at Engageo, I was, at, uh, I was doing a podcast, and we accidentally stumbled upon that. Like, we, we had great conversation. It was me and Ben Sardella, for those who remember him at Datanize. We were having interesting conversations, and then the guests would get off the podcast, and they'd be like, that was a great, that was a great conversation. So what do you guys do again? Maybe I should check you out. Like, I didn't have to go to them and be like, okay, now that we're done with the podcast, let me pitch you. Right, like they they basically asked for it. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about. It's just all yeah. really good ways to engage with accounts that are good accounts that you want to go after, but they aren't in market. Yeah, you know, and that yeah. 
are therefore not poking them with a spear, but is delivering a really good experience. I think that's the uh, that's the the phrase from this one that, that everybody needs to take away. Don't poke people with a spear. That's the <laughs> most the most important takeaway from the entire episode so far. Also, I'm only slightly insulted that this is not the first podcast that Brandon's hosted because now now I feel like we're just second fiddle. But that's fine. We'll move on. Um, so so before before we end this topic because this is super interesting, I think super helpful for everybody. I think there's a lot of immediately actionable things for people looking to launch ABX or just do ABX better. Um, one question that I've gotten a lot, and I actually don't think I've ever had a great answer to, is how do you make sure you're not casting too wide of a net in your ABX approach? Like too many accounts is obviously a problem for sellers, and that's always a balance between sales and marketing. Is, is sellers have limited bandwidth? How do you make sure that you're getting, you're maximizing your spend and maximizing your marketing efforts without casting too wide of a net? I mean, really good question. I mean, the and I probably one of the biggest mistakes I see companies make is. Having too many accounts, especially too many accounts for sort of the top tiers. So a mm-hmm. uh, couple, couple tips and tricks. Um, the first, don't call it tier one, tier two, and tier three. Because uh, <laughs> if you do that, all the reps are going to want their accounts to be tier one. Mm. Um, so you know, we just call it one-to-ones, one-to-fews, and one-to-manys. Because there's no value judgment really built up in... There's no ranking built up in those. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's more just descriptive of how we are going to treat the accounts. That's the first tip. The second tip is don't pick the accounts and then figure out how you're going to treat them. Do it the other way around. Sit down with sales and sales development and marketing and define, hey, if we have a one-to-one account you know, that's worth X to us, you know, how are we going to want to treat them? You know, what, what are, what is, what are we going to do? You know, so a demand base, you know, one to one account is probably worth half a million dollars a year to us, you know? So, well, that's worth creating a customized account plan. That's worth spending $5,000 a year on advertising. That's worth, you know, top tier direct mail, but you know, we just write down sort of what it means, what, what it's worth to have, you know, and then, all right, if we have a one to few, what's that worth to us and what are we going to do? If we have a one-to-many, how are we going to treat them? And by defining what I call those entitlements first, that tells us how many accounts we can really support without kind of overwhelming our ability to actually execute in either marketing or sales, you know, on each one. And then we can go do that account selection process using Fire, you know, to sort of say, all right, we know we can really only have five one-to-ones per rep, you know, and yep. so if that's all we can support, you go pick the best five with fire. Here you go. You know, and so that, that's probably the best way I know to, 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 you know, have different styles and define your entitlements up front. You know, I, I think that's the best answer to that question I've ever heard. Um, and probably one of mm-hmm. the most valuable things that's been said on this podcast so far. So I actually want to read this <laughs> yeah. off and I took, I I, I, because, because yeah, this is, this is actually, I've been asked this question so many times and I've never had an answer that was that succinct and helpful. And honestly, I've messed these things up at ring DNA. We call them tier one, tier two, tier three, just so you know, for our sellers. <laughs> so, so we, we've totally botched that and We're I understand well, how we botched it. Right. Um, so, so this is super helpful. So, so just to sort of like succinctly to wrap these back, don't call it tier one, tier two, tier three, one to one, one to few, one to many is much better nomenclature for, for how you support that. Um, don't pick the accounts and then figure out how to treat them. Do it the other way around. So, so figure out how you're going to treat them and ask the question. The question that you asked, which I really like was if we have an account that's worth X amount of dollars, how do we want to treat that? 
and then you map out that strategy. Once you've done those two things, then you go do your account selection process and map that against the capacity that you've created because you know now how you're going to treat each of those accounts. Right? Now, if you're going to be just one step more nuanced, you know, it's then, okay, for my one-to-ones, for my one-to-fews, for my one-to-manys, what other entitlements will I add if I see certain triggers? Right? So if I see the intent signals that they're in market, if I mm. see they just hired a new executive, you know, or that their competitive contract is coming up in six months. You know, when you have these certain extra triggers, then you can throw layer on another layer of entitlements as well. And that's when you get that system running. That's when you're really humming. That's, this is awesome. I, 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 that is, like I said, this is probably the most valuable thing that's been said on this podcast. So, so I, I think we have to stop on this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, but, but, um, Really awesome, and I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna cut us off there at the ABX topic. I want to segue us into our final segment, which is, of course, this week on LinkedIn. So this week on LinkedIn, I actually happened to get a question I think is very appropriate for John, uh, given that he's the ABX expert, and he'll do a much better job responding than I would. So I have not messaged this person back. So, so someone <laughs> asked me, as a new sales leader. I'm working to better understand all things marketing KPIs and metrics and the impact that they have on my sales team. What marketing metrics would you say are best to look at first to determine where your sales team can have the most impact for the business? So essentially, I think the question is, is if you're a new sales leader and you're just being introduced to the world of marketing, which, which by the way, I find a bit horrifying, but, but it's totally <laughs> possible um, and, and not just possible, probably likely for a lot of sales leaders. Um, what would be the three to five metrics that you'd be like, I need to know those right away and like deeply understand them. And I, everybody on here is marketing except for me. So I'll John, if you want to go first and then anybody else wants to chip in. No, I think it's a really important question. And, and I, I've, I've heard some of the best sales leaders ask me that, you know, actually is like, all right, I believe in sales and marketing alignment. <laughs> what do I actually <laughs> need to be paying attention to? Um, and, 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 and usually they want to get past sort of the top level question of just, hey, how many pipeline opportunities you know, did we create? Um, so thinking that through maybe no particular order, the first thing is I would encourage everybody not to think that hard. You know, this is a don't do, it's supposed to do, about opportunity source. Don't get wrapped up into this is a sales generated opportunity, this is an SDR generated opportunity, this is a marketing generated opportunity. Because frankly, almost nothing good comes from that. Arguments. You should still track it, but just don't pay people on it or really measure people all that hard on it. Because yeah. it, the reality is it is often gray and blurry and hard. You know, you'll, you'll never have it right perfectly. So mm-hmm. once you align on that, let's just have a shared pipeline goal, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. our, you know, top level pipeline. You know, I mean, I would then encourage that salesperson to start thinking about what are some of the leading indicators that get to that outcome. And, and frankly, it's just the way, you know, a salesperson, any good sales leader, they have their own sales methodology and they have sales stages, right? And they know yep. if an account is in stage three, it's got a 30% likelihood to close. And they know that if an account is, if an opportunity is in stage three, discovery or whatever, like this is the steps you do, you know? Yeah. You should have that same rigor all the way up the funnel, you know? So even before it's an opportunity, before it's a meeting, you know, maybe it's a marketing qualified account. So before that it's an engaged account and before that it's a qualified account, 
you know, so in, encourage, I would encourage the salesperson to like sit down and with marketing, define what are those concrete stages that are precursors into the opportunity and then, you know, track it. <laughs> how, you know, yeah. how many do you have in each stage? What is the conversion rate from one to the other? How long, just say, all the same metrics you look at in sales. How long yeah. do things tend to sit in each stage and where are things getting stuck? And then back to the entitlements, if you have an account in that stage, what are we going to do with it? You know, what is marketing going to do? And what sales are going to do? Um, and the ultimate goal is you understand those dynamics well enough that you set targets and goals. Mm-hmm. You know, in order to make our growth target for next quarter, we need this many accounts this quarter to move from qualified to engaged. You know, and if you can all agree on that, then that sales leader is in a great position to go to marketing and say, did we do it? <laughs> You know, do we get enough counts to move from qualified to engaged? So that's probably the number one thing I'd, I'd point them to. I, I think um, I really like the response because because the question asked is like, what can, basically, how can I use my sales team to have a greater impact, right? And, and your answer to that is essentially have your sales team, make sure you're defining process and, and, and tracking metrics up funnel, like pre-opportunity, top of funnel before anything comes in which is, is, gives you information that you could use as a sales leader to actually increase the bottom line, which is if I'm losing a bunch of stuff that's coming in at the very top of the funnel before it ever comes an opportunity, how do I increase that conversion rate? Like, How do I engage better there to actually increase that conversion rate and actually get more opportunities, more pipeline, more closed one, et cetera, right? Yeah. And so you're, you're, you're arming them with uh, the ability. We, we, I do a lot of that here at Ringy but you're arming them with the data they need to, to understand where they can actually develop and improve to, to, to actually affect the bottom line for both sales and marketing. So I think that's an awesome one. Cool. Uh, Brandon, Jonathan, what are your takes on the question? Well, I, well, Jonathan, I'll let you go. I, I, I always tend to jump in before Jonathan. If, <laughs> go ahead, <laughs> I'm not as quick to the draw. <laughs> yeah. I, I tend to be a little too quick and then say something ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I like you, everything. You just don't want to follow that answer. He just he just knocks it out of the park and then you're left, you know, holding the bag. So who wants to go next? Yeah, I think everything John said was very on point. I think analyzing your deals that have closed and figuring out what worked there is something a lot of companies don't do a lot of. And I think understanding what it took to get that company across the finish line can inform your decisions on what you do with the new companies just starting out in your process. Well, okay, going off of that a little bit too, um, I I mean, I I know a lot of people do like close one analysis and it's just like just the deals that we won and then they go and target those same people. Jordan, I know you're, you're hot on this right now. And then it's like, who should we go after? (laughs) It's, it's those, it's those people that we target. So it's, it's this, it's this like loop that never ends. That's actually not that helpful. What I'm more interested in right now is like, who are who are our best customers? It could be engagement, it could be NPS scores, could be product usage, um, could be easiest close, could be you know least support tickets, stuff like that. Let me look at those customers. What do they have in common? And then how do I get more of those people? Right? Because I don't want to look at just my most recent deals. I, I think that's interesting. Um, but then I, I, I do think there are some better indicators of who would be a, who would be a great customer for you. 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, and you're referencing, I think, the, the minor rant that I went on in a, in a larger team meeting last week about using <laughs> yeah. closed one data to determine everything. Um, and to be clear, I totally think there's value in closed one data. Yeah, it's yeah. just not as valuable, I think, as people tend to believe it to be. I think it does <laughs> let you do a lot of really cool things and determine where you're strong in selling so you can, you know, increase in those. It also helps you identify maybe where you're weak in selling. You're creating a whole bunch of opportunities in one. You're not close winning any of them, right? Right. There's things that it does, but determine your ICP, it does not. Let's be clear. Exactly. Totally. Right. There's there's a more subtle thing that sometimes I've talked to sales leaders about, um, which is a lot trickier conversation, but it's important. You know, and and what that comes down to is the end of the day, I really, I really do believe this. I don't care how great your marketing is. I don't care how good your SDRs are, you know, or how great your execution is. You know, if you don't have really strong product market fit and if your brand is not in a positively viewed brand, you know, out in the marketplace, you know, you are going to be facing headwinds and things are going to be hard. Mm-hmm. And the flip side is you can have kind of a shitty team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you can kind of have a mediocre team in case you need to break out that prior part. Uh, oh no, we, we, we're welcome swearing. Go for it. <laughs> and, you know, they can look like superstars right. if what's actually happening is you just have a lot of lift from great product market fit and brand. That People don't love hearing that message, but I really, really do think mm-hmm. it's true. Um, and so what I encourage some salespeople to think about is like, how are you going to know kind of where, how is your brand, you know, right. and, and, and that kind of product market fit. Um, you know, and, and like if every single rep is making quota, you know, <laughs> It's probably the brand. <laughs> you've got you've got a good product market fit. You know, for sure. Probably more than you're so brilliant. Um, <laughs> and so, just encouraging you to sort of think about things like, like, hey, what does traffic to the website look like? You know, and it's just is direct traffic. People typing your brand name in. You know, is that going up fifty percent every month? You know, yep. again, if it is. That's probably the market and the awareness that's driving you kind of more than some of these other things. So just encouraging salespeople to think about those external factors actually, I think, does matter. Yeah, totally. I can't imagine that's a fun conversation when you say that. (laughs) On either side, it's never probably a fun conversation. Yeah, that's in some ways easier for me as like a proven executive who sort of people believe I know what I'm talking about to, to have that conversation. Then if you're like a mid-level marketer saying, it's not my programs, it's the brand. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. Totally. But, but, well, but actually, I, but it is a good idea. It's just you need to approach it differently, I think, is, mm-hmm. is the way, right? It's not don't have that conversation it's all, at all. It's have that conversation differently, which, which could be like slagging it as a potential problem, making sure you can support it with sufficient data, making sure that everything is there to sort of back up what you're saying. Whereas if you're... John Miller, you could say like, "Hey guys, this is the problem, right?" Like you, you, can, you can make that declaration, and then they no have one to questions go it. find that in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. So I do have that advantage going for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this was awesome. That was, I think, a super, super great answer to that question. Better, better than I could have done on my own. So thank you guys for that, um, John. It was awesome to have you on the podcast. Really hope we can have you back, back again soon. I think there was some some info in there that was certainly valuable to me and I know our listeners will think so too. So really appreciate well, you being here today. Before we let John go, I, I think we got to plug some, some content because no one knows AVX, ABM better than John Miller. So he did, they did recently come out with the clear and complete guide to account-based experiences. Mm. Um, so that, 
That is right on the homepage. What's the best place to find that, John? Midbase.com slash guide. Guide. Um, it's 250 pages. Um, I really wrote it to not be like this dense thing. you got to like sit down and study. You can flip through it. You'll find some tidbit like we talked about today. Flip to another page. There's some other tidbit there. Um, so it's pretty easy to read. Um, but if you've ever read any of my content before, any of my definitive guides from Marketo, this really is the best one yet. So I encourage people to go to demandbase.com slash guide and grab a copy. Awesome. And we will make sure we link that in the podcast description, right? Absolutely. Alec, give me a thumbs up in the chat. <laughs> yeah. And, and we'll, link, we'll link it in the podcast description. Yes, he says yes. We will link that in the podcast. <laughs> I just need to make sure that that's possible. I'm not familiar with Apple Podcasts. So we will do that so everybody can grab it as well as uh, give give John a follow on LinkedIn. He puts out a lot of good content and is definitely, as you know today, very knowledgeable in the space and will we'll, we'll help you in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, any, any anything else before we jump off? That sounds good to me. Thanks for having awesome. me, folks. This is a blast. Thanks, Thanks guys. John. Yeah. Appreciate it, John.